Next on Abounding Grace, we look ahead to a time when the day of grace will end and the day of the Lord will come. This is amazing grace. Hey, welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Find your place in 2 Peter chapter 3. The Bible speaks repeatedly of the day of the Lord. It's a time when God will judge the world and punish the nations. Now, no one knows when this will be. As we're told, it will come as a surprise. So how should we be living in light of this? Let's talk about that and more as we join Pastor Ed. Take your Bibles, open them to 2 Peter chapter 3 as well as 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So we'll start in both of those, one way or the other. 2 Peter chapter 3, we'll also use 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, first couple verses there, in a Bible study I've entitled, The Day of the Lord. Now in the last week of Jesus' ministry, there was a lot to process. It happened pretty rapidly, the turn of events that would bring about the death, burial, resurrection and ascension of Jesus into heaven in those final, not only in that final week, but in the time after his resurrection. I would say that in many ways it came as a shock to his disciples, although he did prepare them ahead of time. Uh, He would talk about his death. He would talk about being lied about. He would talk about being taken advantage of. He would even talk about being buried and also rising again. But you know as well as I do, there are times when we just have selective hearing and it's hard to hear things, it's hard to receive things. And it was an up and down last week of their life. Just consider a few things that happened in that final week, those final days that they spent with Jesus before he was crucified. In John chapter 14, verse 1, the word during that time was fear not. So they were given instruction to fear not. Remember he says, let not your heart be troubled, You believe in God, believe also in me, and in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And the response was, well, you know, we're not sure where you're going. And they're having a process. Fear not. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Then... Just moments before his betrayal, he told his disciples, rise and pray. Like, stay focused. Come with me and pray. As he withdrawn with them in Luke 22, verse 41, it says, he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. He knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer, he had come to his disciples. He found them sleeping from sorrow. And he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. So fear not. Rise and pray. 
A third thing that they received after the resurrection was, oh foolish ones, oh foolish ones. Luke chapter 24, verse 25. He said to them, oh foolish ones, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So he says, fear not, rise and pray, O foolish ones. And then there's another one surrounding his ascension. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they that pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, who is to come, the Almighty. And so they've got all of these thoughts. And we could go through and make probably at least 10 more things that were swirling around the mind of the disciples in those last days. They were facing an unknown future. And we've learned over the years, and it's worth repeating, that it's wise to trust our unknown futures to a well-known God. The Bible is where we learn of God and His faithfulness and His character. We see how God's been faithful to others, that He'll too be faithful to us. We learn of His love and His care and concern. Even today, as we were praying in Jeremiah 3, His care and concern for the nation of Israel, for the people of God. He says, I'm going to give you shepherds according to my heart. You're going to be able to tell the difference between those that are speaking on my behalf and those that are lying to you because they're going to share my heart. It's going to be evident. It's going to be clear. Or how about this in Jeremiah 29, 11? God says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. And so we know that whatever the future holds, we can be confident in the one who holds our future. Now, in the midst of Jesus leaving, on the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, in his return, in, in his sudden return, he says this, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Matthew 24, 36, no one knows the day or the hour of the return of Jesus Christ. But wouldn't you know it, so many have come and gone saying that they know the day and the hour, that they know the precise time, or, you know, still yet future, or are there even those that say, no, he already came. Some would say you're living in the tribulation period now, or some would say you're living in the millennial period now. And there are pamphlets and emails and books and videos. They're all wrong when they predict the future coming of the Lord to the day, to the hour. And even though the Bible says this, still many people come and go that have predicted over the years, they know exactly because they're, they're mathematicians or they have figured all the time or they, they have taken the Hebrew letters and they've moved them all around or they have some secret text that they found. And Jesus said it very clearly. Now there is a big difference, as we'll see in a moment, there is a big difference uh, between predicting the exact time and then stepping back and saying, you know what, it's pretty clear the days in which we live and it's pretty clear the seasons in which we live. Remember Jesus, he rebuked those that were living during his time. He goes, you guys can, you can pick the weather, you can figure out what the weather is going to be, but you don't understand the days and times and seasons in which you live. 
So there's a big difference between specifically, you know, thinking, man, like someone might say, man, I really believe the Lord's going to come back in my lifetime. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. You know, because we don't know how long you're going to live. It could be another 50 years. It could be 50 minutes. But the idea of, man, I just get that sense. I feel like the Lord's coming back. I look at the time around and I can sense that. Now, that's a big difference with going, man, this is the day. This is the hour. Sell everything. Be prepared. Let's go outside and look up because it's going to happen in this moment. Jesus says nobody knows. But here's the thing. With all of the ups and downs, with all of the confusion and fears, with all of the selective hearing, we look at the disciples and go, oh, how could they do that? But that's, that's... That's us. We're living in a different time, but that's us. We hear things. We're troubled by things. We're reading one scripture, and then someone sends us another one, and then we're introduced to this, and then, and then before you know it, we're like, I, I don't know. Am I, am I foolish? Am I worrisome? Do I really believe in that? And you start to doubt, and you have all of these emotions that flow, and then you're like, well, what is the future going to hold for me? What is the future going to hold? That is a common feeling I think we all have, a desire. We want to know the future. What does God have in store for us? Now understand what you may be having, people have had throughout the ages. And Israel had the same kind of yearnings. But with them, God gave them the prophets to speak directly to what they're facing and what they're going through. They spoke of a time that God would reign on the earth and bring in an everlasting peace. And this all revolved around the coming of Messiah. But here's the thing. Messiah came and left. This is first century here. The yearnings for the nation of Israel were focused and centered upon God. And they were focused and centered upon him. God fulfilling his promise of sending the Savior. And the Savior came and left. And many of the same things they were facing before he came, they're still facing. And then he promises, I'll return. I'll return. And that's the great promise of the future. The soon return of Jesus Christ. But we're living in the big middle. Jesus came and left, and he hasn't returned yet. And we have life to be lived. Notice now, with that in mind, notice where we pick up. Let's go back to verse 8. We covered last time, but for way of context, it says, but beloved, this is 2 Peter 3, verse 8, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance." But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Hold your places here. Let's go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and put together Peter with the insights that we get 
from Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica. So to the left, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, notice with me in verse 1. He says to this church, concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that this day should overtake you as a thief. Times and seasons. You'd like to write in your Bibles, right there in verse, verse 1, you can circle the word times. It's the Greek word chronos. And it speaks of time, as we would understand it, a sequence of events. So that when you look at the days in which you live, you can see a sequence of events. You can see things of the times in which you live. And then he uses the word seasons. That word seasons is the Greek word karos. And it means a fixed and definite time. So as you're looking around, you see, okay, there's a sequence of things happening. And we can see them. But there's also a fixed and definite time. So there are sequence events that are going to happen in a point in time. And he says, concerning these things, you have no need that I, that I should write to you. You can see them, you can experience them, and you can compare what you're living right now and what you're seeing right now with the way that you've been taught or with us, right? The Old Testament, Israel were given prophets to give insight on their certain situations. And then what do we learn in Hebrews? That God has spoken in time past through the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us how? By his son, his son, the revelation, the word incarnate. And so God has given us insight on the days in which we live. The church was thinking about and wondering about all that would take place. Paul had taught the church in Thessalonica about death and dying. He gave them insight about the rapture of the church. Uh, I've gone into this in other studies, but for, for our time today, the rapture of the church is Jesus Christ coming for his saints Whereas the return of the Lord is him coming with his saints. And between those two events is separated by seven years that we know as the great tribulation. We can also look at that time as the day of the Lord as a re the return. The return. So many prophecies in the Bible are given, but there's none more detailed than the day of the Lord. It's used over and over again. Jot it down. In Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12, For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty. Joel chapter 2, verse 1, Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. So when you think of the day of the Lord, it's not a term that's filled with a lot of joy. And a lot of celebration, especially as you see what surrounds it. Notice again in 1 Thessalonians 5, you see what surrounds this time is not a beautiful time. He says, first of all, it's going to come as a great surprise because there'll be those in verse 3 that live with peace and safety and then sudden destruction, sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains. It's not a term filled with a lot of joy. The day of the Lord is a painful time. A time of judgment. And now, even though we use the English word day, understand that the day of the Lord does not refer to a 24-hour period. Rather, the day of the Lord is a period of time. 
For example, we would describe today that we live in an age, or you could even say a day of grace. It's a season of grace. It's a time where the long-suffering of God is for salvation. The long-suffering of God is salvation. And God is being very gracious. What we deserve currently, what the nations deserve, what the world deserves currently, is not taking place because God is reaching out in patience and long-suffering in grace. God is patiently today, as I speak, holding back judgment so that many would come to a saving knowledge in him. Now, let me just say that's true globally, but it's also true personally. I mean, it's so encouraging to think that through. It is true globally, and we can get caught up in all the global uh, things that are happening today, the rebellion, the resistance, the stubbornness, all that's happening in a world that's under the sway of the wicked one. But it's also true for you individually, in your own life right now, for those hearing my voice. The good news of the gospel is that today, if you will come, if you will respond, if you will acknowledge your sin before a holy and a mighty and righteous God, and you'll repent of your sin and receive the gift of salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ, that you will now experience the grace of God in its fullness. Right now, you're experiencing the grace of God in, in, a, in a sense where God is waiting on you. But to experiencing him in its fullness, God is patiently holding back judgment on you. Now, of course, many people hear that and go, oh, you know, I don't deserve judgment. I don't deserve judgment. But you know as well as I do, that's not true. You know as well as I do that you're not a perfect person, that you haven't done everything right with everybody forever in your life, but rather you and I deserve judgment. Now, the difference between those listening to me is simple. There are those listening to me today that the Bible says that the judgment of God rests upon you right now. Or in another place, the Bible says the wrath of God is upon you right now. And for others, you have taken the role in the position where Jesus Christ took the wrath and judgment of God upon himself on your behalf. He has stood in the gap for you. And you've embraced him. You see, the day of the Lord will come. The day of the Lord will come. One day the day of grace will end and the day of the Lord will come. A time when God will judge the world and punish the nations. Turn over to Isaiah now, chapter 13. Isaiah chapter 13. We see there will come a day where the judgment will come. And the world will be judged. It's predicted even back in Isaiah chapter 13. Pick up there in verse 6 with me. Isaiah 13 verse 6. Wail for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore all hands will be limp. Every man's heart will melt. And they will be afraid. Pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another. Faces will be like flames. And you say, well, what is this? Verse 6, verse 9. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate. He will destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellation will not give their light. The sun will be darkened in its going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. Verse 11. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud 
and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make a mortal more rare than fine gold, a man more than the golden wedge of Ophir. Therefore, I will shake the heavens and the earth and will move out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of his fierce anger. That's what Peter is describing here as a place of encouragement. And you go, come on, Ed, how could this possibly be encouraging? And in many ways, it's not. In many ways, to think of what the reward will be for those that reject Messiah. What will the reward be for those that say, I, I believe in God, I'm a spiritual person, but I don't accept or receive the morality of God. I don't accept or receive the word of God. I don't accept or receive the judgment of God. There are those that say they believe in God, but in all the while they've made them a God in their own image, little g. And they've taken and put this piece together. And how could God ever, how could God ever do this? How could God ever follow through with this? But that's not the real question to ask. The real question to ask is, what kind of God would create humanity give them soul autonomy and freedom to behave any way that they want, see their lost condition, and send his only begotten sons, innocent and pure, to die on their behalf, knowing full well that so many would reject him and resist him. The judgment of God, I, that, that longing, even, even a little bit of a taste in your life of desiring justice, feeling like things just aren't right, wanting things to be right, or living in such a way where you've experienced injustice, that desire to say, you know, I wish things were right, was given to you by God. Because the very character of God is, he is just, and he is righteous, and he is true. Peter describes it to these that are on the, hey, look, God is patient. He's not willing that any should perish. That's where we ended last time. That was our focus. We left us so encouraged. We left encouraged that the, the year before we got saved, God didn't, Jesus didn't come back then. And then we're still praying for people that we love and we care for. And that's how we ended our study last time. And now, but now Peter's going, okay, it was encouraging, but understand the day of grace will end and the day of the Lord will come. We're traveling through 2 Peter one verse at a time here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Our message today goes by the title of The Day of the Lord. To hear it again, visit our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen to Ed through our app. Simply search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play and download the free app today. We also have a podcast which is available wherever you get your podcasts. Pastor Ed, your pick of the month is a wonderful book by Bill Gem. Please tell our listeners a little about it, if you would. Well, Pastor Bill is a very good friend of mine. He's the pastor at Grace Church in Amarillo, Texas. And we have a great story, backstory of our friendship, Larry, and how God has connected us together now for 20-plus years. And he just published a book highlighting a season of his life that he entitled Struggling Under the Broom Tree, God's Rescue Plan for Discouragement. And it's a, a small but powerful book on the topic of Elijah and following the life of Elijah and interweaving it with his life. And I think it's important. It's an important resource because we all get discouraged. 
Uh, we all face difficulties, and it's good to learn from other people's experiences, right? And, and on top of that, there is this sense and thought that, man, pastors never go through it, leaders never go through it, and and maybe even your pastor or a leader in your life or, or an elder or you just need to be encouraged and be reminded that we're all human, that we all wrestle and struggle with things in this world, that we're all really living out John chapter 16, verse 33, because in this world we will suffer tribulation, but we're to be of good cheer because Jesus Christ has overcome the world. You got to get this book. It's small. It's a quick read. It's super encouraging. I know the Lord will use it in your life. And again, Pastor Bill is just such a great brother in the Lord. What a personality he has. What a love for Jesus. And I just know you'll be blessed by it. So pick it up. Be encouraged in the Lord. That's Struggling Under the Broom Tree by Bill Gem. It's yours for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Please remember, it's your financial support that allows us to be on this station and others as well. Call 877-30-GRACE or order online at calvaryco.store. More about the Day of the Lord and how to be living in light of the Lord soon return next time on Abounding Grace with Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.